We are in this series we began last week where we are looking at the scriptures uh, in, for periods of renewal, periods that we'd call revival, where God breaks in, the Holy Spirit comes to bring back to life those things that have died. Though he, 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 uh, he comes and he recovers what's lost, where what has been decayed is, reco- is restored and repaired. You know, and what I wouldn't want you to hear as, you know, as we say that we're in this series called Revive Us Again is that, oh, Cornerstone is planning a revival. Oh, we're having one, right? We're setting up shop and, you know, like back in the day they used to say, hey, revival meetings happening, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week. Actually, that's not the vision that we'd have of, of, of who God is and, and how he works and what he's like. Um, you know, we just saying, who can stop the Lord Almighty? We could say, who can start the Lord Almighty? Who would, who would give him counsel and tell him what to do? We wouldn't want to have that attitude. But rather, in this series, what we would want to have is, is a, a heart in a, in a posture before God, in a position before God, where we can um, be a place and be a people whom the Holy Spirit is ready to work in, who's ready to receive a mighty work of the Holy Spirit for the glory of the name of Jesus. And so much of... Um, what we would call revivals or is what I would maybe call revivalism. And we'll critique some of that in this series. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at renewal movements that actually happened in the Bible. And say, what can we learn from them? How can we posture ourselves? How can we position ourselves as a church community? And to do that this morning, we're going to look at the theme of personal renewal, the renewal in the heart of one individual. And, uh, and what can we learn about that corporately, for, but more, more personally than some of the other weeks that we'll talk about more corporate things. And we're going to do that by looking at the life of Josiah. And that, I'm going to read Second uh, Chronicles chapter 34. I'm not sure if you've ever done an in-depth study on the life of Josiah. Uh, I don't think I have. I don't think I've ever even heard a sermon. I've been in church every Sunday of my life, I think. I've maybe skipped one or two. Um, but I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on the life of Josiah. At least not one that I can remember. And so we're going to do that this morning. It's a great story. One of the, the, we're going to read the life story of one of the greatest kings in history. And I'll invite you to turn there, and we're going to refer back to it this morning. So turn there in your Bible or swipe there in your phone, and we will stay there and invite you to stay there as we camp out in this uh, chapter this morning. So Second Chronicles 34. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Don't miss that. He was eight years old. When he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, carved idols, and cast images. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars, that were above them, and he smashed the Asherah poles, the idols, and the images. Then he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. 
Then he went back to Jerusalem. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. They went to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the temple of God, which the Levites, who were the doorkeepers, had collected from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of Israel, and from all the people of Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they entrusted it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers who repaired and restored the temple. They also gave money to the carpenters and builders to purchase dressed money, or dressed stone and timber for joists and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. The men did the work faithfully. Over them to direct them were Jahath and Obadiah, Levites descended from Merari and Zechariah and Meshulam descended from Kohath. The Levites, all who were skilled in playing musical instruments, had charge of the laborers and supervised all the workers from job to job. Some of the Levites were secretaries, scribes, and doorkeepers. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, Your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahiakim son of Shaphan, Abdon, Son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that has poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophetess Huldah, who is the wife of Shalem son of Tokath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second district. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger, by all their hand, that their hands have made, my anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you have heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by, its, by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. 
to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart, with all his soul, and to obey every, the words of the covenant written in this book. When he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledged themselves to it. The, king, the people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. This is the word of God. This is an incredible story of a young man who caught a vision for the kingdom of God, who caught a vision for God, and he spends the rest of his life pursuing it. One of the greatest kings who ever lived, who literally turned and bent history away from judgment, who changed the heart and the mind of God towards his people. Give a little bit of context here. The people of God had, have slid into depravity. These people, the people of Judah, this is the southern kingdom, the two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, the, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel has already gone into exile because of their uh, rebellion against God. God's already caused the, his word to be fulfilled, which says, when you depart from me, I will, I will, I will not let you keep this land that I've given to you. You'll, you'll be brought into exile. God's already fulfilled that for the northern kingdom. But now Josiah is, is king of the southern kingdom. But the people of God, the Judah, have slid far away from the presence of God. They, and they are about to be destroyed. This is the last minute before exile. And God steps in and he does something breathtaking in their midst. You see, Josiah's grandfather was Manasseh. Manasseh was the most wicked king Israel ever had. He had a 55-year reign and he led a disgusting life. It says that Manasseh went about to all the pagan cultures around him and copied the very worst abominations he could find there. He brought child sacrifice to Judah. He brought idol worship from all the pagan cultures around him to God's people. He looked to the nations around him, to the worst of pagan culture for inspiration in his leadership, and save for a brief moment of repentance near the end of his life, he led the people of God in wickedness. He had a son named Amon, named after an Egyptian sun god. If you know the, some of the story, the history of the people of Israel, they, you know that they were enslaved by Egypt, right, for hundreds of years. And so Manasseh literally names his son after one of the gods that enslaved his people. Amon was such an incompetent leader that after two years of his rule, he was assassinated. And so at the age of eight, his son Josiah ascends to the throne. Josiah has zero spiritual heritage, right? He's, he's never seen the life of someone who is seeking after God. He's never seen it with his own eyes. This is a dark moment in Israel's history. This is a, a, a nation that is in total decline. Judgment is pending, but it says that at the age of 16, Josiah set his heart to seek God. Josiah doesn't have full power yet. There's a, a series of, of tutors that are overseeing him yet, and so he doesn't have the power to bring about total reform yet. But it says at the age of 16, he set his heart to seek God. 
At the age of 20, he launches a major campaign to eradicate idol worship. He literally clears house. He clears house. At the age of 26, he launches a project to cleanse and to repair the temple. He has a vision for the restoration of public and corporate worship for the people of God. He re- in, the, in that process, as we read, he re- rediscovers the Bible. His grandfather, Manasseh, had banned the Bible. And so it's important, though, for us to understand that, that, that Josiah, he didn't even have a copy of the Scriptures. He had no... He had no personal mentors all he was doing was living on rumors and and longings and desires and uh, and visions from far history josiah would read in the next chapter as he after he celebrates the passover with the people of god he he dies actually in a moment of disobedience but this is what's said uh, about Josiah. It's on the screen, Second uh, Kings 23. At the end of Josiah's life, it says, Neither before or after Josiah was there a king like him, who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength, in accordance with the law of Moses. Never before or after was there a man like him, who was seeking after God with his whole heart, who, who used every ounce of his strength and his power and his influence and every area of his life he leveraged to seeking after God in accordance with the law, in accordance with the scriptures. This is the life of a young person who got a vision for the kingdom of God and then who used every ounce of his influence, who used every compartment of his life, every area of his life to seek that kingdom. And at the end of his life, it could be said, he could say, I gave it everything I had. And this is God's endorsement of Josiah, right? Neither before or after was there a man like him who was seeking after God. What will be said of your life? What will be said of your life? Here was a man or a woman who dabbled in the things of God. Here's a man or a woman who pursued trivialities. So I want to see three things out of Josiah's life. And I'm, I'm, I'm gaining inspiration from another one of spiritual giants throughout history, Jonathan Edwards. Who, Jonathan Edwards made a series of resolutions. A series of resolutions about his life. He says, I'm resolved that. And he has a series of these things. I'm going to look at the resolutions of Josiah's heart. First of all, that Josiah resolved to seek God. He resolved to seek God. He said, I will honor God with my life. At the age of 16, he says, I, he set his heart to seek God. He set his heart. His heart was set. His direction was set, and it wasn't moving. This is the trajectory of my life, he says. My, my life is going to be about one thing, seeking God. I'm going to seek after God there's one thing I do, it will be to seek. And it says the God of his father, David. I love that, actually. The God of his father, David. David has been dead for centuries at this time. David was not his father, but David was his spiritual father. You know, see, Josiah says, there's the great king. There's a man after God's own heart. I will imitate him. 
Josiah had so much negative momentum to overcome. And yet he was able to say, I'm going to be mentored by David. I'm going to set my heart to seek God. You can be mentored by people who are not alive today. I can say in my life, I've, I've been mentored by people who are long dead. It's the beauty of books, to be honest. To take, you know, who, who's, who is someone who bore the fruit that you crave? We have access to be mentored, to be tutored, by, to, be, to be discipled by men and women of history who gave their all, who gave their life to seeking after God. I'd say another word for us in, the, in all of this cornerstone is that we would honor the work of God in young people. That we would honor the work of God in young people. That we would cultivate in young people. And I know there's many of you who are with us in the room here today who are young and we would want to say to you like we want to cultivate in you an ambition for the things of god that that it would be said of you that your heart was set your trajectory the the direction of your life is set and it's set on seeking after god that we would disciple young people not discourage them or dismiss them when they say things Now, too often, I think we say, well, you know, you just came back from camp, so of course you're going to say stuff like that, but don't give it time, and you'll drift back, and be normal again. You just got back from a missions trip, so of course your heart's on fire. Like, let's not, let's not dismiss that. Let's fan that into flame. Let's stir that up in our young people, a passion for God. So many significant revivals in history have been through young people. Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, the, the great awakening in the, in the United States, were in their mid-20s. Evan Roberts, who led the Welsh revival, was 26. David was a young man when he was chosen to be king. Mary was a teenager when she was chosen by God to carry Jesus. So many significant things in history have happened through young people. See, Josiah... He resolved to honor God. He resolved to seek after God. And he does that by reforming the idolatry of his day. His repentance was ruthless. His repentance over sin was ruthless. He doesn't dabble with sin. He has seen the horrible consequences of sin in his life and in his nation. And so he doesn't dabble with it. And I'm afraid that so, so many of us who grew up in the church, we... we uh, you know, and we were born in church, and we lived in church our whole life, and, and we know the, the story of grace, and so we feel really comfortable just kind of dabbling with sin a little bit, and say, well, it's not that bad. There's grace. Grace will cover it. Josiah doesn't dabble, and you see it more in people who've, who've really lived in the consequences of, of, uh, of sin and rebellion against God. They've seen the consequences. They don't dabble with it. You go to an AA meeting, they don't, they're not like, hey, just dabble with alcohol a little bit. No, they're like, I want nothing to do with it. That's the attitude of Josiah's hearts towards sin in his life and in his nation. He's like, I want nothing to do it. I am going to be incredibly intolerant with sin in my life. His repentance was ruthless. I don't know if you know um, geography of Israel back in the day, as we read it there, but he went on a tour. 
He went on a tour throughout the whole land. Josiah was on tour, and he visited every corner of the nation to eradicate every um, despicable thing in the eyes of God. He purges the land of idols. He removes the pagan installations. And then he goes and he scatters dust. He desecrates the graves of those who sacrificed to them. He burns the bones of, of the priests of these, alt, uh, of these um, idols so that there's no grave, so that people couldn't go back and remember the day, the good old days when we sacrificed our kids to Molech and, and the good old days when we worshiped Baal. No, he destroys it. He's ruthless. He's like, there's going to be not a trace of it left in the land. What's the first commandment? It's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. He doesn't want a trace of idol worship left in his heart or in the land. So Josiah resolved to honor God. Josiah secondly resolved to restore God's ways. He resolved to restore God's ways. He was not only destructive. He also he you see when when we want to destroy sin in our life. The only way that can happen is if you replace it with something that's better and more beautiful. And so Josiah was not only destructive, he restores what should be. He got rid of sin, but he replaced it with something better. So he restores worship. He restores worship. And again, he has never seen these things firsthand, but he restores the worship of God's people. And the people have given an offering. This isn't only top-down. The people have contributed to this. And he hires skilled builders because he has a vision that there would be a place on earth where people could gather to encounter the presence and the glory of God. You see, no one is worshiping at this time, but Josiah has a vision for God's people gathering together in worship. And so the priests are back in service, and he brings back the musicians, and they prepare themselves to encounter God. He builds a worship culture to renew the hearts of the people towards the living God. He not only restores worship, he also takes the scriptures seriously because someone stumbles on a Bible while they're repairing the temple. And so Josiah has no personal knowledge, no firsthand encounter with the word of God, and he reads the text. Some, are, some would, would guess that he, he was reading Deuteronomy 28 and 29, which is a series of curses and blessings that Moses pronounces for the people. He says, if you will walk in the ways of the Lord, he'll bless you. If you do this, he'll bless you. If you follow him in this way, he will bless you. But there's also the series of curses where he says, but if you serve other gods, this curse will come on you. If you, if you neglect the Lord, you, this, if you fail to keep the, the, the temple pure, this is the curse that will come on you. And there's a series of blessings and curses. And he reads the text. And he knows that God's people are headed for judgment. Because they've broken covenant with God. And his heart melts. And he falls before God and he cries out. His heart is broken. But here's the beautiful thing. This is the, this is the breathtaking thing, I think, about Josiah. Is he, doesn't, he doesn't just say, oh, we're doomed. We are done for. We violated everything in here. We're going to get none of the blessings and all of the curses. No, he... He doesn't just leave it there. He wants a prophetic word. He wants a living word. He wants prophetic insight into the passage. And he says, are there any prophets around? Who can can instruct me in this? Now, it's fascinating that um, actually at this time, Jeremiah, if you've heard of Jeremiah, he's a prophet, a fairly major one. 
Um, he's, in fact, called a major prophet. He's in ministry at this time, but they don't go to find Jeremiah. They find a prophetess, Huldah, who, who we don't really hear about in other parts of the scripture. But they find this woman of God who has a word from God. And, he says, and, and they go and they find her and she says, to, and they, they say to her, tell me the mind and the heart of God. And she says, yeah, you're, you're doomed. Yeah, judgment is in fact coming. God is true to his word. But he says, but she also says, because, tell the king of Judah who sent you, says, this is what the Lord says concerning the words you've heard. Because your heart was responsive, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard that he, what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. And he says, it won't happen in your generation. You see, Josiah's response to the word of God, Josiah's repentance, which is a turning, which is a sorrow over sin and a turning back to God, Josiah's repentance saved a generation. Huldah says, yeah, judgment's coming. God is true to his word. And rebellion will be dealt with. But because of your response, because you've taken my word seriously and you've humbled yourself before me, you've believed me, you've trusted in me, and you're seeking me, he literally turns history and saves a generation. Because of your humility, I will spare a generation. Thirdly, Josiah resolved to renew their commitments. Again, Josiah could have been a fatalist. He says, it's all going to burn anyway. So what's the, what's the point? He gets this word from Huldah, and, he's, and, and it's like, yeah, judgment is coming. This place will be destroyed. Judgment is coming. He could have been, wow, what's the point of honoring God now then? Let's just... Sit back and wait for judgment. No, but he leads the people in renewing their vows to God. He says, while I have breath, in this window of time that God has given me, I will seek after God. Even in the light of prophetic judgment, he has a vision to renew the covenant relationship with God. Now, sometimes misunderstand what that word means, covenant. It's, you know, we think, oh, it's a contract. But it's... um, it's more relational than a contract, a covenant. It's like a marriage covenant. When, when God called the people of Israel out of Egypt, he says he called them out like a bride. It's deeply relational. And that's why in the, if you read the prophets and if you're following our reading plan, um, we've kind of been going through the prophets the last couple of months, and, and you can read this deeply graphic language where God says to his people, you've played the whore. It says in another spot, you literally, you open your skirt to anyone who passes by. Don't get angry with me. It's the Bible, I promise. You can Google it. I don't want any emails about that. That's in the Bible. He's, but, but God says, you've, you've broken covenant. You've broken my heart. You've broken your marriage vows. Josiah leads the people to the altar to repent, to turn, and to renew their vows to make it right. He humbles himself before God, before God's word, and he does so before the people in public. And so then, in chapter 35, he reestablishes the Passover, this giant celebration of God's faithfulness in leading the people of God out of slavery and into the land and into relationship. 
And it's interesting to note, if you study the life of Daniel, Daniel's another prophet. And Daniel, as a young man, was taken into exile, into Babylon. As, you know, shortly after Josiah's death, people of Israel were taken into exile. And Daniel was among those who was taken. And Daniel, as if you know the story, set his heart to seek after God and wouldn't be polluted with the, with the food that's been sacrificed to idols and wouldn't bow down, him and his friends wouldn't bow down to graven images, wouldn't worship the gods of Babylon who kept themselves pure. And it, and it says even in Daniel, I think it's chapter 9, where Daniel prays this great prayer. And, and this is near the end of his life. And Daniel, it says, at the hour of sacrifice. So this is 70 years after Josiah, at least. 70 years, Daniel has never seen this hour of sacrifice that was reinstituted by Josiah. But still every day at the hour of sacrifice, twice a day, he was on his knees before God, crying out to God. You say, what's the point? Here's the point. Here's the fruit in the legacy of Josiah's life. The fruit in the legacy of Josiah's determination to set his heart towards seeking after God is that over 70 years later, there's still a man seeking after God every day because of the rhythms, because of the, of the direction, because of the trajectory that was set by Josiah. Daniel is seeking after God. Just very briefly, how do we respond? How do, what, what's God calling us to in this three things and they relate to the three resolutions of Josiah Josiah resolved to seek God and he was ruthless with idolatry I think our response first of all would be an intolerance towards sin in our life you know we are all marked by sin in our past we're all marked by sin in our past And sometimes when things get hard, our minds can go back there, right? Our minds can go back there when things get difficult, when things get hard. What does Josiah say? What does Josiah say to that? He says, burn the bones. Burn the bones. You can't even go back there. Would you be able to pray, Lord, search me, O God, and see if there's any evil way in me? And lead me in the way everlasting. Would you invite the Holy Spirit to say, just say, Holy Spirit, is, would you reveal to me? Would you search my heart? Is there idolatry in my heart? Are there things that I have put my trust in? That I've invested my affections in? Are there things that I love more than I love you? Would you pray that prayer? Search me, oh God. Here's some Bible verses, New Testament verses. 1 John 5.21, go there, Steve. 1 John 5.21 says, Little children, keep yourself from idols. 1 Corinthians 10.14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put it to death. Put those things to death. I think one of the great scourges of our day, one of the great things that is deforming the minds of many of us in this culture is, is the proliferation of pornography. That's deforming the minds of young boys, that's ruining marriages, that's oppressing, oppressing women. 
Would you have zero tolerance for that in your life? Would you put it to death and replace it with something better and more beautiful? Paul writes that covetousness, which is idolatry. Would you search your heart and see if there's covetousness in your heart? Is there greed in your heart? Can you hear God say to you today, would you turn to me with your heart? Would you set your heart towards seeking me? Like Josiah, would you hear that invitation of God today to set your heart towards seeking him? So I think our response must include an intolerance for sin. Secondly, it must include a recovery for what has been lost. A recovery for what has been lost. Can you remember a day in your life where you loved God more passionately than you do today? Is there been a time in your life where God's word to you was more precious and more needed? Where you hungered after him more than you do today? Where you worshipped him more intently and passionately and sincerely? Could we recover what's lost in our public, in our corporate worship, in our lives that are shaped by the scriptures. Maybe it's been a while since you've read the, read the Bible. I can't, I can't recommend it highly enough to you to, to pick up one of these cards. We put them out every month. It's meant to be a bookmark. Take two or three if you like. Scatter them throughout your home, throughout your Bible. And to just daily give yourself to just saying, I'm going to hear from you today, God. I want to hear from you. My heart is set towards seeking you. And here's just a couple of, couple of passages a day where you can be formed by God's word to you day after day after day. And after a year, you've read the Bible. And you come back and you do it again and you hear from God. How do you recover what's lost? I think the best way to put it is to say, can you design your life? Can you create your life in, with an environment that the Holy Spirit loves to dwell in? What, is the Holy, what kind of a heart does the Holy Spirit love to work in? It's a heart that's seeking after God. A, a heart that's he, like opening the scriptures and trying to hear from him. A heart that's seeking him in prayer. A heart that does justice. A heart that's generous. If you're a teenager here today, maybe... Maybe God's done something profound in your life at a camp or a retreat or a missions trip. And I want to say to you today, would you stir it up? Don't, don't lose it. Don't lose it. Or maybe you think back, maybe you're an adult, you're fully adult, and you can think back to a time in your youth where God was whispering something to you. Could you stir that up and fan it into flame? You say, where do I start? Where do I start? Jer where did Josiah start? Josiah started, it says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Just start following. Just start following him and seeking him. Thirdly, I'd invite us to renew our marriage vows. To renew our vows before him. To, to say, God, like, I don't desire you like I used to desire you. Or I don't even ever remember a hunger after you. Or a desire to be with you. I don't, I don't ever remember a time like that. And could you say, Lord, would you give me that kind of a desire? Would you give me a heart that's set for you? Set after seeking you? 
Lord, I want to be used by you in our time and in our place. I heard a song. I was kind of playing some music over the, my phone in our home yesterday, and I heard a song for the very first time, and I went back to it again this morning with some beautiful lyrics. Some of the lyrics were, I need you now as much as I did then. I need a new beginning. So Jesus, I am coming for the first time again. Take me deep inside the grace that forgets instead of down the well-worn path of my regrets. So Jesus, I am coming for the first time again.